Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast, helping moms to love wisely and well. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Wild, integrative pediatrician and mom of eight sons who continually challenge and teach me. Over the years, I've learned that rather than outward technique, it's the internal landscape of the heart that affects parenting more than anything else. Mothering is about being, not just doing. You have everything you need within you to become the parent you want to be. So let's bring it out. Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast. Have you ever felt like your kids just aren't listening like you'd like them to, and you give them an answer and they just are having such a hard time accepting it? Today, we're going to be talking with Nicolene Peck, and she is going to tell us some wonderful strategies to help this be easier in your family. So Nicolene Peck is the founder of Teaching Self-Government. She is a parenting mentor for over 20 years. She's the author of several books, including Parenting a House United. And I have to say that the first time I encountered the work of Nicolene Peck, a friend had just said, hey, have you heard of this person? And I was actually out of town at a conference. And once the content was done, I went back to my hotel room and opened up some of her stuff and just binge watched it. And, you know, as a parenting expert, quote unquote, myself, I think that that says a lot that I am hungry for the messages that Nicolene has to share. So welcome to this podcast, Nicolene. Thank you, Dr. Wild. I appreciate that. I am happy to be here. So first, can you tell us a little bit about your unique background, about how you began in this space of being a mentor to parents? Yeah, I didn't plan on it. I'll tell you that. That was not my goal at all. I do think that I was raised in such a way and had certain experiences when I was young that led me in the direction that that I have gone and I didn't know that I was going to be going that direction. My father was a communications professor and a speech and communications like real guru, right? And so I was raised with this man who would make sure that we understood that the words we chose with what we said and the way we said them, that nonverbal communication was very, very important. And so this was part of my upbringing and I didn't know that was going to be such a vital part of my upbringing. And then we took in foster children. Um, They were all between the ages of 12 and 18 years old. They all had different processing difficulties. Um, They had different trauma experiences in their background. There were a lot of things they were dealing with and I could not just say, well, you know, they have an excuse to misbehave. They were in my home to do therapeutic treatment care. So I needed to help them with therapy that they needed. So I did that. And people, I think, thought I was crazy when I brought those children into my home. And But then they started noticing these children changing pretty drastically. Mm -hmm. And they started, started asking me, what are you doing? And so then people asked me to come speak at churches, school groups, PTA groups, things like that. And then the BBC uh, found out about us. And this was after I had made my first, it was my first audio seminar set. And they found out about us and they asked us if we would take in two troubled teens to our home for 
uh, eight days to pr- to do a show called the world's strictest parents. And that program was, it kind of blew the world away. It became their most watched episode ever because they brought us some of their most difficult children that they had ever had on the program. It was a very widely popular program in the UK at the time. And we were so calm. And at the end of the program, the two kids didn't want to leave our house. Wow. And so then people were like, wait, where's your book? And uh, the funny thing was I had been working on a book because people had been asking for it for years. So I started teaching more widely. I thought I was just dumping things out because I felt like somehow I had to, and people kept asking for little things. I thought it would be short lived. And now I see this is my life. Yes. And I think it's so valuable to know that you have come from the trenches. Like it's not like you're sitting in an office somewhere and theorizing you are you know you you sought out these answers in your own experience and you found really what works so well to help kids remain calm and to remain calm as a parent too in these kind of difficult moments with their kids so one of my favorite um, YouTube videos that you have is one about helping kids receive a no answer And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you do this. How should we as parents set our kids up so they can successfully hear a no from us? Because we all know that this is a word that sometimes our kids need to hear. Yeah. Oh, it's super important. First off, I have to comment on something that you said prior to this question, and that is that that the parents need to learn how to be calm too, right? Yes. Big, right? So a a part of everybody being able to accept no answers in a home, if your children are going to be able to accept no answers, then what that also means is that you have to know how to accept no answers. So -hmm. just like they don't get to control you and control everything that goes on, you have to recognize I don't get to control everything either, meaning I can't emotionally control whatever everybody else is doing around me. So this is super important. And parents sometimes struggle the most with their own calmness. But the cool thing about the skills that I teach is it helps parents and children be calm at the same time. (laughs) Wonderful. And the whole goal of all of this teaching, I think we need to say a little bit of, you know, background, the whole goal is self-government, right? So my website's called teachingselfgovernment.com. My YouTube channel, it's teaching self-government. My podcast, teaching self-government. All those things are all teaching self-government because that's the goal. That's the principle that we're working toward. And it's not just for the children to govern themselves, which sounds wonderful, but it's for the parents too to yes. govern themselves. So can I share the definition of that? And then we talk about accepting no answers. Is that okay? Yes, because I think that in that definition helps us understand why receiving no answers is an important skill. So yeah, yeah, it is. So here's my brief definition that I always share. And that is that self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. So there's two parts to that definition. The first part is that you understand cause and effect. And then the second part is you understand yourself. And what you keep doing. So you analyze yourself and, and what causes and effects that you're part of and then how you can adjust that. So anyway, as we're helping our children understand how to accept no answers from us and get bad news, which sometimes is to them bad news, right. then, we, then we need to make sure that we recognize 
this isn't a bad thing. We're teaching them how to analyze themselves and how to determine what outcomes they want when they get bad news. Yes. It's a good thing. It's an empowering thing. I think when parents tell children no for something or they can't give something they want, they feel like they're being a bad parent. And so then when their child behaves badly, they go, well, I mean, of course they would behave badly because I've just been, you know, I've I've not done something that makes them happy. And so then it becomes this emotional thing where it doesn't need to be an emotional thing. Instead, we can say, wait a minute, that everyone gets bad news from time to time and they have to learn how to adjust themselves for the the outcome they want. Mm -hmm. I love that. And going along with what you said about just kind of understanding ourselves, um, Dr. Dan Siegel has said that the one of the best predictors of a child's emotional wellness is their parents self-understanding or self-awareness and 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 i think that as we can be self-aware and help our kids be self-aware that really can change behavior in a deeper way than just you know surfacey obedience it is the deepest way yes that i've seen so i work with thousands and thousands of people around the world. Yes. And my main message is if you want your child to have a change of heart, you have to have a change of heart yourself. Yes. You have to. And really at the end of the day, if you've got this 18 year old child who is just about ready to maybe launch from the house and you're thinking, I don't have much time left. So I've had that 17 year old come in. I've had those problems where they, they show up and they're just about ready to launch and all of a sudden they have all these problems, right? And I've said to myself, okay, can I make everything go away immediately? No, because there's a principle there. I can't make everything go away immediately. All of their problems be solved, snap of a finger instantly. So what I have to do is I have to say, but what can I change? Number one thing I can change is my heart. I can make sure my heart's in the right place. I'm calm. I'm ready and we're going to help people with that, by the way, because we have a free gift at the end of this. I know. I love it. <laughs> yeah, anyways, we're going to help people with that. But I, I, can, I can get myself in the right place, right? And then after that, then I can see that they can trust me because it's going to strengthen our relationship. It's going to open communication. If I'm not taking things personally, if I keep myself self-governed, that opens the door for them to listen to me. Yes. It makes me the proper leader. That if I'm just being emotional, telling them not to be, I'm not a proper leader. And then they're not going to open that door. Right. Now tell us, I know you have some specific steps that go into helping kids receive a no answer. So could you break those down for us? Yeah, you bet. I, there's even a book that teaches it. So as you know, I have that children's book series that teaches the four basic skills to children. And one of those four basic skills is accepting a no answer. And the steps to, oh, by the way, the book that teaches that is called Porter Earns a Quarter. Cute. <laughs> very cute. It's about my son, Porter. All my four children's books are actually written about my children. I have four children of my own. And then I did all of the foster children as well, but they didn't get books. Just my children. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so Porter Earns a Quarter is about a little boy who has a hard time accepting no answers. And, um, and I think it's important to determine what a no answer is. So sometimes you tell your child no. But sometimes a no answer is, well, I was running a race with my sister or my friend and I lost. That's a no answer, right? Yeah, it's like, no, or, you're not going to be the winner this time. Yeah, sorry. It's not going to happen, right? <laughs> or um, I got a bad grade on my paper. 
Mm-hmm. That's a no answer. It could also be a consequence of something, but it's also it feels like a no answer, right? Or um, I have to do chores now instead of later when I would like to, right? Mm-hmm. Or I have to do chores at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that also comes into following instructions, which is another skill we need to learn. But yeah, it can feel like a no when I didn't want to do it, right? Or what about when I lose something? I've lost my, you know, my favorite toy or something. Oh, no. That, that causes stress, a little bit of anxiety, because I'm worried about it. And I don't like that I can't find it. Well, the fact that I don't like that I can't find it means I've gotten a no answer. And I'm having to come to grips with this no answer, which mm-hmm. is a struggle. So any kind of a boundary line also that you don't cross over. So touching someone that you shouldn't touch, that's a no answer right? Yes. Uh-huh. Someone's air, you know, like they do. Don't breathe my air. My air. <laughs> all these things that children do. Um, these are all boundary lines they shouldn't cross. So then we get into media stuff and, um, you know, some of the other heavier things that they might be dealing with sexual things, addiction things, all these kinds of things are going to relate to accepting no answers. So even though it sounds like, oh, this is just for little children not to have a tantrum. Actually, Actually, accepting a no answer is for everyone all the time. And parents need to do it too. I don't know how many times I'm on my way somewhere and then I get a stoplight. You know, there's the red light and you're like, ah, I am in such a rush. I do not have time for the stoplight. Right. And in my car, I'm like saying little prayers, turn green, turn green, turn green. (laughs) But but at the end of the day, I have to just accept it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a no answer. Someone cuts me off in traffic. I have to accept it. I miss my, I miss my flight. I didn't wake up on time. I have to accept it. What can I do? Am I going to let it, you know, follow me around all day? No. So let's talk about what we do. No matter our age, here's the steps. There's four of them. So this is just one skill with its steps to look at the person. That's step number one. Step number two, keep a calm face, voice, and body. That can be the hardest part for people. (laughs) step number three is say okay or if you live you know uh in the south somewhere yes ma'am and then or disagree appropriately which is another one of our four basic skills that we could use at that time and then drop the subject oh that is the kicker for some that's a big one (laughs) huge it's huge drop the subject that's like taking calmness to the next level right? Yes. Being able to move on. And I teach a lot about resilience and, and a lot of what resilience is, is this idea of pivoting and being able to bounce back and move forward despite. And so I think it is so valuable and so aligned with the things that I'm so passionate about. So I love it. It is well, and you know, it lets a person know that they don't have to get stuck. Because we do have a problem. You and I both see it, don't we? Mm-hmm. So many, not just children, but parents too, everybody feeling like they're stuck, that they have to stay broken and that they have to over-process on everything that goes wrong or that they did wrong or that someone did to them or whatever it is. And it is a, a very um, victim-driven society that we're living in right now. Right. But what we all want is to be empowered and to move forward. I mean, I think deepest down, if we have the hope that we can, and these kinds of skills are the ones that can help us do that. Oh, yeah, they are. And they're really powerful. I don't know how many adults have said to me, Nicolene, 
I just have to tell myself to drop the subject. <laughs> yeah. Don't take it personally. I'm like, you are right. Focus it. Get going. Get going. It's powerful. I want to hear specifically about this idea of calm face, voice, and body. Because I think a lot of parents, they think, well, you know, if I've told my child, and this is part of the following instructions as well, but, you know, if I get a yes from my child, like, yes, they will do this thing, but they have this terrible scowl on their face, you know, um, that's not calm face, voice, and body. And, and at what point do we just say, you know, I'll take the wins that I got. And, and why is it important to take it another step? Yeah, I think, oh, okay. So this is good. I like this angle. So um, when a person gives a no answer to their child or gives an instruction, so we could also, because keeping a calm face, voice, and body, like you said, is applicable to both of those steps or skills, because it's a step in each, each of those skills. So if we said, um, I told my child, no, you can't go out and play. And the child doesn't go out and play. They, they don't. But they sit in their room and they pout. And they won't talk to anybody. Or they have an attitude problem. They go punch their sister or, you know, or something, right? I mean, that's extreme, but it can happen. Yeah. I've been in homes where, you know, where children have said, you know what? I'm doing this to you because I can't do it to mom. You know, and they really have told their siblings that kind of mm. stuff. And so, um, so let's say they, they get an attitude problem or they get pouty. Well, then they're not really accepting a no answer. They didn't go out and play with their friend after or didn't go to the party or whatever it is that they got the no answer for. They mm -hmm. didn't go, mm -hmm. but their heart is not okay. They're not keeping a calm face, voice, and body. They're still processing on it. They're feeling hard-hearted about it. They're definitely not dropping the subject because calm face, voice, and body and drop the subject go together, don't right. they? I mean, the, the drop the subject is the end part of being able to keep a calm face, voice, and body, okay? Mm -hmm. It's then can I move on? But first, can I recognize what's going on and choose the calmness at the very beginning, right? Right. When someone does not have a calm voice, say, usually they're not going to have a calm body or a calm face too. The three are interconnected. Yes. Usually if you have one of them not calm, then usually almost all of them are not calm. Sometimes you can fake it in one way, but then the other two are going to be there. So that's why we hook them together. But occasionally there's that person that will sit and just tap, you know, on the table or something, but they won't do anything else. But then, then you can just say, okay, we're not having a calm body. And you can identify the one thing that mm -hmm. they need to work on. If they're sitting and pouting, um, but they're not showing it on their face, but you can tell they're not connected to the group. Then you can say, mm, we're not having a calm body because their heart's not calm on the inside. And mm -hmm. so being able to help them see if they start to scrunch up their face and, and grit their teeth, then you can say, oh, we're not having a calm face. Mm -hmm. And so then, they, oh, okay, I, I can see I, I need to work on my face, right? So it's a one thing to start with to work on the face. Mm -hmm. But when we get to the body, we're talking about the person choosing to actually be okay. Mm -hmm. Right? Calm voice, calm face. Those are external things that show I'm, my heart is not okay. 
Right. Body is not okay. Now, sometimes body, if they're tapping on a table or, you know, hitting a wall, that can be external, but the, also the heart thing is body. If mm. they're, you know, so, so it can go deeper than that. There's sometimes where a child is sitting there, they're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I am calm. And you can hear it just in my tone, really. Right. In the choppiness, in the clipped, the clipped mm. phrases. And it's, I think it's interesting. I think it would be easy to feel like, oh, well, this is just for our convenience that we want, like, we don't want any ruffles or ripples, you know, but I think this is really about helping our kids be free. Oh, this is. is about helping them be free. This isn't about our convenience or like having this external, um, facade of calmness this is about like really helping our kids and ourselves connect with the true cues of the remnants of discord and resentment and frustration and so we can actually free ourselves from them so i think it's it's very powerful yeah it's all about liberation and i always have told people my whole goal is to free people from emotional bondage so as much as we need to understand our emotions we also need to recognize they they can be liberating to understand and they can be bondage too right, right? so there's productive emotions and then non-productive emotions mm-hmm. so we have to make sure that we we know what each one of those are because we can get trapped very very easily. And if we are in bondage, what happens to all of our relationships, all of our connections, all of our days, we struggle. And this is where the parents need to clue into the calmness too, right? Right. So everybody's got to understand that calm face, voice, and body that they can say, wait, I actually am okay. I am okay. Mm -hmm. I I don't have to take this personally. That's what it means when a person is having a calm face, voice, and body that they have decided Nothing has to happen to me because something didn't go my way. I don't have to make my body experience trauma Mm -hmm. or have some sort of a reaction. Mm -hmm. Instead, I can just process this and I can figure a productive way to handle it. So we're going into front brain now. We're going to go into problem solving abilities. We're going to utilize skills that we have. We're going to check our thoughts and make sure our thoughts are doing the things that are going to help us productively instead of hurt us in another way. It doesn't mean that the anger that we might've felt was bad. Right. It just means, it just means that we have to know what to do with it when we feel it come. And if we can get in that regulated state, like you said, that's when our power truly comes, you know, when we can get regulated enough to engage our frontal cortex and solve problems. And, and I think too, that, um, you know, sometimes when I think about wanting my kids to be calm on the outside, then I think, but I don't want to train them, you know, just to be an actor. I don't want to just have them be compliant on the outside, but this is all about, and that's what I really want to stress to our listeners this is all about helping us see our external cues so we can get deeper. So we can get to the heart because, you know, even from a, a health standpoint, when we carry around emotion that raises cortisol, that, that causes chronic health issues. I mean, it's, it's so powerful 
even just from a physical health standpoint, not just talking about our how we enjoy our our days <laughs> interacting. I, I really appreciate that because can we talk about robots for a minute here? Because people don't want their children to be robots. And people, right? people don't want to behave like robots either. They, they are very resistant to that, right? Don't control me. I mean, especially Americans, just forget it. Like, <laughs> no, right. And especially if you're in Texas, even worse, you know, like, <laughs> Like, no. And so people are like, I want to say what I need to say, right? And so when they feel like they're telling your child, say it like this, and then the child goes, okay, I'm going to say it like this because it is effective. Because now I am able to, mom can understand me because I'm using the skill called disagree appropriately, or I actually feel okay because I'm accepting a no answer. But then the parent wonders, ooh, did I take away something from that child? Did I control them and turn them into a robot in some way? And, and there are so many people that come to me and say, I don't want my child to be robots. I don't want us to just be scripted all the time. <laughs> and so then I look at them and I very caringly say, I get it. I understand because I am that freedom loving girl. Okay. Yes, me I too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then I say, but. Have you ever questioned whether you might not already be a robot? About this, because the same thing that happens every time the child says, you can't make me or you hate me or whatever it is that the child says when they get emotional or they don't want to do it or when they ignore you or when your spouse ignores you. I mean, we could talk about anybody here. You might have already programmed yourself to think the same thought and feel the same thing and act the same way every single time. In fact, your parents acted in a certain way and you told yourself you didn't want to do it, but somehow you did it anyway because you already have been scripted. (laughs) Right. So we operate from scripts. So why not be a little more intentional about which script we follow? (laughs) Amen. That is exactly. And so I say, so how about we just reprogram this? How about we decide ahead of time about how we want to be programmed instead of just going to a default that we never deliberately picked? Yes, I love that. So, so let's, let's choose a new way that would actually serve us and our relationships better. When you have a script that you have deliberately determined to use and that script actually helps you get the outcomes that you want you end up having less anxiety when you're using the script. And when you're, when you're talking to other people, you don't have to go to that, that amygdala, you don't have to go mid brain and say, okay, well, how am I going to make them understand me? No way. I have a skill. I have a way they know I'm going to communicate this way. I know I'm going to communicate this way. Boom. Anxiety goes down, down, down. I can go front brain. I can solve my problems. Now we can have unity in our relationship. So many people search for unity with emotion, that emotion of love and connection actually comes once we understand each other and we can feel like we can communicate well with each other. And there's power in practicing, practicing, practicing a certain way. And the way that you get off script is to first find the script you want to follow and practice it and practice it. And then, you know, it, it just becomes part of you. That's how it is with everything. I mean, if you think, Mary, I don't know if you wear makeup. I am not a big makeup wearer, but I have worn makeup. Uh-huh. And there have been phases in my life where I've worn more makeup than at other times. Uh-huh. And I will tell you that there was a time I thought I was really good at my makeup. 
Okay. And I, cause I, because I, and I could just do it without thinking. I could have a conversation with a child and just do the makeup. And, and my husband's looking at me going, how do you not stab yourself in the eye? And, how you, <laughs> and I'm just doing the stuff, you know, with the makeup and it was no problem whatsoever. And I was like, well, honey, you do it enough times that that's just, it just becomes second nature to you. I don't even think about it. I can, I don't have to think, blink my eye like this. I just do it, you know? And um, anyway, and so you create this system, this pattern for how you do your makeup. And soon you never think about it. You just do it every day, no matter what. Now I don't do my makeup every day. I'm just going to say that right now um, <laughs> anymore. I'm, I'm a little bit more nat el natural when it comes to that. Um, but and so, you know, what happens is when I want to really dress up and put on eyeshadow, I'm terrible at it now. I'm terrible. <laughs> I used to be able to do a good job with my eyeshadow. And now when I look at it afterward and I'm like, it looks like I have a black eye. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. And so anymore, I'm just like, I've abandoned eyeshadow. I've just abandoned it. I can't. I can't make it work like I used to. And it's because I'm out of practice Yes, because I haven't done it. So when you have a script, you use it regularly and you practice it regularly because you hold yourself accountable to it mm -hmm. Then it becomes second nature. But there's a point where even you can lose some of those skills that you had those good ones. If you stop practicing, if you stop deliberately doing it. And so when a person is self-governed, Mary, what they, what they have to do is be deliberate again and again and again. So they have to hold themselves accountable. And in my teaching self-government system, there's different meetings and stuff where we check up on how we're doing, where we keep reinventing it so we keep pushing ourselves back on track. Yes, and I think that's so important. As a mom of multiple kids, you know, and I think all of us can see how maybe with one child or with our first kids, maybe we weren't so good at certain things, but then we got better at those things, but maybe... With our later kids, there are different things we're not, not as good at because we've maybe gotten out of practice or haven't been quite as focused and accountable to ourselves. So I think that that practice is so important. So, Nicolene, you might have been hearing some noises in the background. And one of my sons just rambled up the stairs earlier than I expected and um, is making some noise. So I might need to give him a no answer right now. Just a minute here. <laughs> Okay, back to the podcast. <laughs> Sometimes life happens, you know? Exactly. We're, bo we're both moms. We, we're in real life here. So the one thing I want to make sure we talk about before we close is also the idea of consequences. I think you have a unique way of talking about consequences because so many of us feel like we have to have like 101 consequences and and maybe some of us even feel like we're you know being mean if we employ consequences so um maybe just a a quick sentence or two about why consequences actually are valuable and and then your system a very simple consequence system yeah, it is simple. Consequences are important. I mean, there's natural consequences and artificial consequences and um, artificial consequences are quicker and actually oftentimes more merciful for children than using natural consequences. And that's a good place for parents to start because we want to teach the children cause and effect and we want to do it as quickly as possible. But 
some consequences that might be artificial consequences like taking stuff away and stuff like that are things that also can be power struggles. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be careful about that because then we end up manipulating our children and then we'll end up trying to have an interaction of teaching coming from a place where people don't trust each other mm -hmm. because of the consequences. And so a, a better thing to do is to have a consequence system that's predetermined. Everybody knows what it is. So we're not going to start grabbing things away, locking people away in rooms and stuff and all the things that people do um, and sitting people on a timeout for who knows how long and whatever. But instead um, saying, okay, so every time we don't follow an instruction or every time we don't keep a calm face, voice and body or drop a subject, you know, when we're accepting a no answer, then mom will do a correction. And part of that correction, I don't have time to go into all those steps right now, but part of that correction will be the consequence step. And that's where you will earn an extra chore and it all will always be an extra chore. And you could have a job jar that you pull them out of. And the reason why I love extra chores is because one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called character back in the 1800s. His name is Samuel smiles. And he said that work is the antidote for a sick character mm -hmm. and you see that in old time principled parenting mm -hmm. you read any old book you see oh let's work let's work because mm -hmm. um, work is good if not we're going to have self children, right? Idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? That mm. little old adage that people used to say, but it's true. We get very selfish people if they don't get enough character development. And so anyway, the cool thing about work and doing extra chores is that a person has to choose to do it. It's yes. not something you do to them. So right. many consequences that people use, it's something they do to their child. In this case, the, the child has to do something. They have to accept it. They have to put forth an effort and they have to stay calm the whole time they're doing it. And I have to say right now, parents, some parent is saying, but then won't my child hate chores? Some parent is saying it. <laughs> and I want you to know the answer to that is no. Your child will only hate working and hate chores if you hate working and hate chores. Okay? <laughs> and the more work that they do, the more confident they are at it and the more they feel like it's no big deal. Yes. So you should be working with your family, family work every day. They do their own work every day. Plus they get to earn extra chores. What, what's the big deal if you do all this other work then? What if our main struggle is to get our kids to do a chore and then we feel like we're just getting further and further down a hole. So how, mm -hmm. how would you talk to parents who are in that situation? Because I've heard parents asking that question. Okay. So, um, you do have to have something in your structure prepared for that. And that was something that we did put in our structure. <laughs> so we have something called the rule of three and, um, and it's not counting to three, like some parents do. So that's not it. Um, there's this, this dialogue that we have, we say three things three times, but basically if we, if we say, I give a child a no answer, they don't accept a no answer. They start, you know, nagging or getting angry or whatever it is. And then I feel like, oh, I need to do a correction because they're not accepting a no answer. So then I would do a correction. And then let's say that they earn an extra chore because they didn't accept a no answer. And then at this point, they're like, I don't care. I'm not doing it, you know, or, <laughs> or they just get more emotional or something like that. Well, then I'm going to start something called the rule of three. And in this dialogue, called the rule of three, they can earn 
uh, three different negative consequences and they don't get to actually start to do them until they are fully in instructional control. And I define what that means. There's five things they have to be able to do if they're in instructional control. And then once they're in instructional control, then they can do the, their negative consequences. But in the meantime, they're basically choosing to have no privileges um, for that whole time until they choose to be in instructional control and they can accept their consequences. And this is so brushed over. I just want to be very clear that just from what I said, you're probably not going to be able to implement all that. Okay. Because you need the words, you need to understand what it's going to look like when they've earned those three negative consequences that we have there um, and, and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot more to it than what I just said, but basically I do have something in place and it's something that is not forcing them they just have to choose to be calm part of being calm is being able to follow an instruction from your parents mm -hmm. and acknowledging the roles that your parents have and that you have as a learner in their home and so you need to be able to do that and until those roles can get in the right place and a person can follow instructions we can't move forward so we end up then stuck in limbo and then they don't have privileges until we get to that place where they can move forward and maybe some parents are like yeah but they'll just take them they'll just do it they'll just fight uh you know what you stay consistent enough and over time they won't and i promise because i had kids with odd adhd anger issues they were dealing with um bipolar all kinds of stuff and they can learn to do it it takes consistency most parents keep their tolerances too high and when their child starts to have an emotion uh they just feel like then they have to throw in the towel because nothing's working because their tolerances were high if you lower them down and you maintain a low tolerance base then what happens is the child actually improves quicker but they will test it at first especially if they're really strong-willed yes well that that gives us a wonderful taste into the depth that you offer and you know we talked at the beginning of the podcast about how one of the most important things was to govern ourselves as parents and so can you share with us the the wonderful gift that you have for our listeners Yes, I'm so excited about this. So I have something called a Calm Parenting Toolkit. And this is a course. It's a mini course. It's got 10 lessons in it where I share different tools of calmness that you can use for yourself and even for your children. They can use some of these tools of calmness. But as you're trying to help them get calm when they're going out of control, these are going to be really helpful to you. And I'm going to give it to you completely for free, which is fantastic. So right now on the website, teachingselfgovernment.com, you will see a link to that calm parenting toolkit. So go to teachingselfgovernment.com, click the calm parenting toolkit that's right on the homepage, and you'll be able to get it for free right now. That is so wonderful. And I will put in the show notes links to that and links to Nicolene's YouTube channel that has so much valuable content. So thank you so much for being with us, Nicolene. And I do want to say really quick that we have something exciting planned in terms of a collaboration in April of 2023. So in sunny Southern Utah, St. George, Utah, we will be having a parenting retreat and Nicolene will be one of our speakers. And that is April 21st to the 22nd, 2023. So if you're listening to this podcast and this date has already passed, <laughs> there will probably be another. So um, just stay connected with the two of our communities and we will continue um, sharing the goodness to help you be the parent you want to be. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mary. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Compassion Parenting Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What resonated with you? What questions came up? Let's continue the conversation on Instagram at Compassion Parenting or within my free Facebook group, Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. Links are in the show notes. If you've gained insight from the time we've shared today, leave a review and subscribe. There's a quick how-to in the show notes. Have a blessed week. May you love yourself, your family, and the world wisely and well.